electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in last call, the growing fallout from today's market sell-off. Unexpectedly hot inflation data out today, taking a hammer to stocks with the outlook for Fed rate cuts becoming increasingly now unclear. That's what happened to the markets. Here's your futures. They are mixed. Early trade, not a lot of volume. But there you go. Not a lot of indication the sell-off will roll into tomorrow. And if you want the news, the insight, and super smart analysis, obviously you came to the right place tonight. We have the guests and everything you need to get ahead of tomorrow's open, including Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler, Marianne Bartels, Investment Strategist at Sanctuary Wealth, Bradley Tusk, CEO of Tusk Ventures, and Jim Bianco, President and Founder of Bianco Research, Victoria Green, many, many more. What a lineup. So belly up and buckle up because a special edition of Last Call is up right now. Cue ominous music. Good evening. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. Obviously, we begin tonight on the big market sell-off and how it may be impacting your money. Let's be clear. The S&P 500, it had a rough day. Actually, not the worst day of the year. We had one worse January 31st, but we still fell a lot today. So let's go back to that day, the worst day of the year, the last day of January, and what has happened since then, kind of try to make some kind of an analogy between then and now. Anybody remember, you know, two weeks ago? Okay, so let's start here. Here's the S&P 500 since that big drop, the biggest drop of the year that we had back on January 31st. We're actually up about a half of a percent. So we've come up a little bit off that. You may have heard about a company called NVIDIA. They make semiconductors and other things. Now, they have been a rocket ship since the worst day of the year. Again, January 31st, NVIDIA... It's been a rocket ship. It is up, we'll call it 15% roundup. Why not? So NVIDIA, that's been kind of its own story. It's up 45% this year. And it's not just them. Since that drop a couple of weeks ago, Meta, the parent of Facebook, it has also seen a monster run with itself doing an NVIDIA-like 15% pop. Again, coming off that January 31st day, the one that we've had the worst of the year. And if you just parked your money and a few big tech stocks, you've been printing money. In fact, let's go way back longer term. This is a three-year chart of the NASDAQ 100. Now, over three years, the NASDAQ 100, you just bought the QQQ, you made 27.5%. Okay, so the NASDAQ triple Q up 27.5%. Obviously, if you were smart or lucky enough to have timed the bottom right pretty much at the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, you have done far better than that. Obviously, there's like all of you right now are like, I did that. I timed the bottom. If you did, good for you. Take your family to dinner tonight. Either way, but a good run for big tech. Now, all of this has happened despite rising interest rates over the past three years. If you literally just came down from Mars, you've been in the space station for three years, you may not have known that. The rest of you have. The Treasury yield... On the 10-year, was at 1.5% three years ago. We are now 
at 4.33% for a gain of 257%. Interest rates not on their high. That was actually hit a couple of months ago, but still a huge run. So stocks and interest rates both going up at the same time. And even with today's move down, Wall Street nerves are still very low. We know that because the VIX, a.k.a. Wall Street's fear gauge, up a little bit today. Yeah, it looked 14%, but we're still at 15. We'll call it 16. So the VIX, while up today, still at 16. In three years, it's fallen 20%. And you don't need me to block the screen, right? Obviously, this is Ukraine invasion, Putin's insane war, some issues here around interest rates. But overall... Wall Street nerves, Wall Street fear is measured by the VIX, which is actually options activity and different spreads. I don't want to get into it, but that has come down. The market has remained calm, even with a couple of sell-offs, which, by the way, and I'll ask our our first guest about this, sell-offs once in a while are necessary and they are healthy. Let's talk more about that, the markets, and what you should do with your money right now with our lead-off market panel, and that is Chief Investment Officer at G-Squared Private Wealth and CNBC contributor Victoria Green and Piper Sandler, Managing Director and Chief Market Technician Craig Johnson, who called the November rally and was just out warning about a short-term sell signal. Craig, I'm going to start with you. What did you and your team see? When did you see it? And what do you see happening now? Thanks, Brian, for having me on. We've been watching this market, specifically the breadth of this market, the stocks that are participating, the stocks that are back above 40-week moving averages or 200-day moving averages. Brian, since the beginning of this year, that has been declining. At the same time, you've been watching these popular averages moving higher. We've also been watching the number of stocks and industry groups that are making 26-week new highs fading while the market is going up. Brian, when that happens, it's not sustainable, and it's pretty straightforward that you are getting some sell-offs and corrections. And the nice part about this is it happened at the very upper end of a 15-month price channel. Charts work, and you can clearly see that from uh, the piece that we published on Monday, Brian, called Hold On Loosely, Don't Let Go, as we saw our sell signal come, and we were advising people to take money off the table yesterday. A 38 special reference there, I suspect. Victoria Green, I'm going to quote Victoria Green to Victoria Green. And this is my fancy notes. You can't see it, but on the Telestrator, I I drew a 14 with an arrow down and a 48 with an arrow up. This is why they don't let me play with the Telestrator very much, Victoria. And this is your data. Since mid-October, we've had 14 down trading days overall and 48 up trading days overall. Hard to see, I know. But that's an 80% win ratio. This is your data. That, that to me, I love it when stocks go up. I want to make money too, but that's unsustainable. It's not. It's never linear like this. So this doesn't pull us, uh, does not surprise us at all to have this pullback here because that's like three to one win rate on up days versus down days. And it's not usually this linear of a projection. So yes, I think we could step back a little bit. RSI hit overbought. You, you're seeing some of these technicals get stretched, but the uptrend is still intact. And even you saw it today in the afternoon in the last 30 minutes of trading, you saw people come in and buy the dip. And that is what we've been conditioned to do. So for me right now, absolutely short term, it needs to happen. It's like we've been shaking a soda bottle and you got to kind of just let that pressure off just a little bit. But at the same point, I think the long-term trends are there. The earnings growth have been there. The leadership is there. Absolutely. Breath had weakened a little bit. 
But the fundamentals of the growth and where the growth is coming from, I think you continue to lean in. I started calling it the, the superior six versus the magnificent seven. I kind of booted Tesla and Apple and then added in Netflix. And that's kind of, I think that core group has earnings growth. It has some sustainability. It can see uh, how it participates in this rally going forward. I think it's going to keep leading it. But I know Victoria, everybody's but Victoria, I think to my, my point, my point is, is that, and, and again, tell me if you agree, it's not for me to make opinions about the market, but sell-off is healthy. If we go down a little bit more even from here, like, and, and you believe that markets will end the year higher, as Craig and others still do, you want to buy lower. I would welcome True. a little bit of a decline because if I've got my eye on a specific set of stocks or an ETF, I would like to get it for as low as I possibly can if I am bullish longer term. Absolutely. You and $6 trillion other dollars in the money markets, they're waiting for these dips. So I think that support's going to come in because of the cash on the sidelines, because of the people that weren't quite as smart and bought that October low. You know, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a pullback that hasn't happened in three months. And so I think anytime we get a, a pullback, even if it's just 5%, I think those dip buyers are going to come in because that feeling of FOMO is going to come back where they say, okay, this might be my chance to get in. I've been waiting on the sidelines. We've got so much building. We actually have money markets continue continuing to build assets, that's a huge support to stocks because there is an in, a demand there and it should come off the sidelines if this comes lower. Five to 10%, very normal correction. And we'd like to see that because again, we'd like this market to behave a little bit more normally and a little less just crazy. Yeah. And today was all Craig about inflation data and the Federal Reserve. And that's a big deal. And I certainly get it. The immaculate disinflation that began last year, it might be over. But that said, you, you, you're the best at it and plucking out these things that you're seeing that are concerning to you. And part of that short-term sell signal that you see right now is that the percentage of stocks making new highs in the medium and near term continues to get smaller. It's a theme that we have explored many times on this network and this show, which is the bad breadth with a D, bad breadth in the market, continues to get worse. It's like market halitosis. Yep, that's exactly right, Brian. And that's likely what's going to happen. And I, I certainly share some of the enthusiasm that Victoria is talking about here. But I want to put this all into perspective for the whole year, because I think this year is going to be very, very different than what we had last year. Brian, we talked about a hop, a drop and a pop. And clearly we got the pop in the very uh, fourth quarter of last year. This year is going to be sort of this high level trading range, Brian, where we're going to consolidate sideways. I suspect this market corrects from here to a, probably about the uh, mid to late March, early part of April. You get a big rally back up to the 4th of July. You correct it again before the election and the year higher. But, Brian, higher means 50-50 at year end. Not that we're questioning it, but just sort of 50-50, another 2% higher from where we're at. So it's going to be a trading market, and investors are going to have to play that to get a good return this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Basically, you know, this could be a year that is slightly higher. We'll see what happens. Craig Johnson, good sell signal there. Victoria Green, really appreciate it with the longer-term optimism, too. Guys, thanks for kicking off a big show. We appreciate it, and I learned a lesson. Don't draw blue on a blue background. All right, we are just getting started on this big last call, and on deck, more on the markets and your money. That hot inflation data shaking things up a bit today, like that soda bottle Victoria Green talked about. Plus, talk about whiplash. How an apparent typo in an earnings relief from a big company sent its stock soaring, then back down to earth. Deirdre Bosa is up with this pretty weird story coming up. And your RBI, I promise, is going to blow your mind, which is what we think is a pretty amazing stat comparing NVIDIA and 
Intel. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this, and you will, but only if you stick around. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, let's get down to tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you and Wall should be talking about tomorrow. First up, Jeff Bezos selling another $2 billion worth of Amazon stock. The sales follow a previous Amazon stock sale. They are part of a trading plan that was disclosed in Amazon's 2023 annual filing. Just keep that in mind. Bezos put another $2 billion into his pocket. He's got a man's got to eat, okay? Next up, Mark Zuckerberg just shared his review of Apple's new Vision Pro headset on Instagram. He compared it to his own MetaQuest headset series. He noted the Vision Pro has a higher resolution screen, but that Meta's headset is better suited for everyday use. Take a look. There are a lot of people who just assumed that Vision Pro would be higher quality because it's Apple and it costs $3,000 more. But, you know, honestly, I'm pretty surprised that Quest is so much better for the vast majority of things that people use these headsets for with that price differential. There you go. Take it a little swipe at Apple. All right, now, turning now to Airbnb, which also posted earnings after the bell. They beat on revenue. They expect international travel demand to remain strong. Travelers booked nearly 100 million nights and experiences in the fourth quarter, up 12% from a year before. Shares of Airbnb initially jumped after hours, but they are down in the red. They do announce, by the way, about a $6 billion buyback of their shares. All right, finally, it's a pretty crazy story. And we're just going to speculate wildly that somebody at Lyft is having a pretty bad day. Here's what happened. Shares of Lyft soared immediately on earnings. They jumped almost 70%. They added billions in market cap. Everything was great. But because somebody apparently made a typo. Teardra Bosa's here now to explain... Uh, yeah, someone not having a good day. Yeah, I don't think you need to speculate, Brian. Someone or some people are having an absolutely terrible day. You kind of explained what happened, but you can see it just in the chart alone. Right after earnings results, the stock popped nearly 70%. And this was a typo, as you said, but I'm just going to play the soundbite when everyone realized what had gone wrong. Have a listen. This was on the analyst call. I think the slide say 500 basis points, but Aaron, you mentioned 50, so I think it is 50, but if you could just uh, clarify that again, please. And then um, can you talk about the underlying assumptions, even if it is 50, uh, between kind of the gross margin and the OPEX levers at your disposal? Where do you kind of see the most room for, uh, for that leverage to come through? Thanks, Nikhil. This is Aaron, and this is actually a correction from the press release. You're correct. In my prepared remarks, I referenced 50 basis points 
of margin expansion. So if you look at our full year performance for 2023 at 1.6%, uh, you can translate that into approximately 2.1% in terms of our directional commentary in 2024. So, Brian, essentially, Lyft didn't even realize the mistake until an analyst brought it up on the call. I feel for the CFO who is new to the position. Aaron Brewer, this is a very, very big mistake. I have never seen anything like it in covering earnings for more than eight years now. Um, and really, it took away from the fundamentals that were pretty good for Lyft. I mean, the company says that it's going to achieve free cash flow in the upcoming year. It's making progress towards profitability. It's offering driver incentives. But all of that is certainly getting lost in the noise of this very, 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 very large mistake. So let's. I want to just kind of, people are just now tuning in and or they're just kind of listening in. Lyft put out its earnings release, or it was on a slide or the press release, where they said they had a 500 basis point gain in margins. 500 basis points yeah. is a fancy way to say 5%. Massive jump. Then some analyst noted a mistake, and Lyft had to say, whoa, we didn't mean 5%. We meant one half of 1%. Half of 1%. This is what happens when you use basis points versus percentages, right? You try to be fancy, Brian. Um, and, you know, it also kind of tells you just like how rough a time Lyft has had. And I want to show you Lyft versus Uber over the last year. These stocks used to trade in tandem. Uber has pulled so far ahead that it is kind of amazing that even the people looking at this earnings release could think that they meant a 5% margin expansion in EBITDA, but this is a stock and yeah. a company that has just been beaten down. And, and let's say even if it did pop 70%, even if it was holding on to those gains, it would still be far, far below its IPO price. But what's so amazing is, is Deirdre, bigger, people may not realize how many people looked at that release or that slide. It's not like one person made a mistake and it slid through. I guarantee you there are multiple people, lawyers, checking that out. I don't want to pile on, Brian, but I don't want to pile on, but it was actually in two places. It was in the press release and it was on. in the supplemental slide. So I'm sorry. No, it's it, it was in two spots. Yeah. Uh, new um, lawyers. But you know what, Brian? We're going to get a chance to hear from the CEO himself, David Risher, who is just coming up on his one-year anniversary. He will have a chance to explain what happened. Hey, mistakes happen. Yeah. This was a very large one, but he will be on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. And from what I know of him, and I interviewed him right when he came into this job, he is not someone to shy away. He faces things head on. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Yeah, and he'll apologize. And by the way, stock's still up. But I, I will bet you, like, I don't know, a soda or a coffee or something down the road, Deirdre, when I'm in San Francisco, that there are lawsuits filed because people will have bought the stock. It went up. Yeah. They maybe tuned out, not realizing it was a mistake, who, and now yeah, are down. Who bought when it was up 60%? Somebody did, right? Deirdre Bosa, thank you. Amazing story on Lyft. All right. Meantime, as you know, macro markets went down today. But did you know that oil went up? Oil rose again. It is now just back below $78 a barrel. Brent crude is over 80. Today's OPEC monthly report said the group expects the global economy to remain strong next year and oil demand globally to grow by 2.2 million barrels per day this year. We should note that that growth estimate is higher than estimates of growth from the IEA and others. But the market clearly bought into it today. Let's talk more about that and markets overall. Joining us with more Sanctuary Wealth Chief Investment Strategist, Marianne Bartels. Marianne, we have you on for all kinds of stuff. You could talk about anything, and we love that. 
Do you have a specific view on oil and or maybe how it might affect the inflation data, which was all the rage and all the problem today? Well, you do point out there was one thing up today and oil was up and commodities were up. The asset allocation trade today was sell your treasuries, sell your equities, buy commodities. And I do think that that trade happened because CPI did come in um, above expectations, as people say, a little bit hotter. But when you still look at CPI on a year-to-year basis, it's still trending down. So I'm really not that concerned about inflation. When I look at oil, um, if it gets above 80, I think it could have sustaining power to go to 100. But I really think you need to get oil at 100 and to stay there or higher really to do any damage um, to, to the markets. So I really I think that this is a blip. I don't think this is sustainable. Well, every time we've seen oil in the last year or so, Marianne, sort of touch or get near or sniff that $80 mark, it just goes back down. There is plenty of oil in the world. That's correct. But, you know, economies are growing. And if you use equity markets as a proxy, like if you use you know, the S&P, the NASDAQ, if you look at stocks 50, if you look at Japan, these these markets are moving and breaking out. We are looking for, for a pullback. We do think that there's going to be a consolidation, but our targets this year for the market are 5,200 to 5,400. So we're still telling clients to buy. Unfortunately, energy, the energy stocks, are really not leadership in here because we're really not getting oil sustainably higher. But these are great companies. They have great cash flow. They have great dividends, but they're not the leaders. The leaders are still clearly technology. And I think AI is going to keep technology the leadership. And as we noted the other night, NVIDIA alone is worth more than all the top 23 oil and gas companies in the S&P Energy Index combined. Marianne Bartels, thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right, coming up, and speaking of, it may be the most interesting thing you're going to hear all day, of course, CNBC style, the insanely random, and we promise, interesting stock stack comparing NVIDIA to Intel. You'll hear it next. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, welcome back. If you're just joining us, going to show you again what happened in the markets today. And if you don't like the color red, you might want to turn away. Declines across the board. In fact, only six stocks in the NASDAQ 100 were higher today. It was one of the worst market days that we have seen in a while. Now, the Dow ended down 524, but I will say this. At one point, the Dow was down more than 700. So to Victoria's point, top of the show, you did see some buyers come in. What might happen tomorrow? Well, we don't know. Futures not giving us a lot of indication, but if, if those hold, and if you're listening on the radio, the futures are not down at all. They're, they're in the red, but they're down like a hundredth of a percent. So right now, very thinly traded futures, not indicating the market sell-off will continue. But again, right around 7 a.m. tomorrow is when you start to see some real futures action. 
All right, today's RBI is about the undisputed king of stocks right now. I mean, who else but NVIDIA? It is the darling of Wall Street. It's the darling of everybody. NVIDIA is up 46% this year. It's been a run for the ages for NVIDIA. It is the only stock anyone I meet wants to talk about. Uber drivers, CNBC fans, the mailman, you name it. They want to talk about NVIDIA. And why not? If you were smart or lucky enough to buy shares five years ago, okay, in five years, look at this. I mean, NVIDIA was like, oh, 15 bucks. It's now almost 800. In five years, NVIDIA, I know it's a little bit tough to see, so I'll do this, has made 1700 and 87% over five years. It has made a lot of people very, very rich. Now, I was on X, formerly known as Twitter today, making some comments about NVIDIA. Not negative or positive, not my job, but just trying to remind everybody that while an amazing company doing amazing things with AI, NVIDIA at its core is still a company that simply makes and sells things. Sales, engineering. In this case, it makes and sells chips and processors for AI, gaming, Bitcoin mining, and more. Over 25 years, we have seen leadership in semiconductors, and we have seen leadership in semiconductors changed. Now, when I wrote that, a couple of you questioned that and said, well, when have we seen a big shift in semiconductors? Well, what is really random but interesting is that NVIDIA's move over the past five years is almost exactly the same as a move by a little company you might have heard about called Intel. This is a chart of Intel between 1995, okay? Remember those days, long time ago, pre-cell phone, and the year 2000. Intel. In those five years, the internet was just growing up. The tech boom was all the rage, and Intel was one of, if not the hottest stocks in America. Intel was inside everything. Dude, you're getting a Dell. And in those five years, Intel rose 1,727%, about 60% less than NVIDIA in the same time period. Think about that. Unreal, right? So what happened to Intel after its 2000 peak when it was worth $509 billion? Well, it lost more than 40% of its value, and today is worth $184 billion, more than $300 billion less than 24 years ago. These are the heady days of the peak when I was much thinner and at the NASDAQ. And over that time, Intel, great company, good people, has lost over $300 billion in market cap. And I want to be very clear. Nobody's saying that NVIDIA is Intel or Intel's NVIDIA or that NVIDIA is going to suffer the same fate. Nobody's saying that. I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that. It's just a good historical reminder that markets can move fast. And semiconductor companies can be just like everyone else. They can be the hottest thing out there until they aren't. Could NVIDIA keep going up from here? Of course. It could go double again in a year. Who knows? But a 1,700% gain for NVIDIA over five years and a 1,700% gain for Intel over the five years from 95 to 2000, I swear, that is random and certainly interesting. Let's talk about that with Tusk Ventures co-founder and CEO Bradley Tusk. Listen, causation, not correlation. Insert disclaimer here, Bradley. But the fact that the move was almost exactly the same, does it mean anything? Or is it literally just some just bizarre anomaly that has no meaning whatsoever? 
I mean, I, I don't think it means that much. There is still always the reminder that, you know, a company is, is as you said, uh, a, a living, breathing entity that's in a state of flux at all times. And there are periods where you're really on top of things, but companies make mistakes and fall. And so while NVIDIA seems invincible right now, it's still gonna be about how well they execute um, if they wanna stay at this level. But here's where I think that if you're an NVIDIA fan, you should feel a little more comfortable, which is we are just at the precipice of this AI boom. It is probably a more meaningful sort of step change in technology than anything we've had in the last 50 years. Um, and there are so many potential applications for it that they need, the underlying need for the chips is going to be there kind of no matter uh -huh. what AI takes off. So as a result, they are really well positioned. These are great points. And like I want to like I said, because a lot of people own NVIDIA, NVIDIA could keep going up. It could double or triple from here again. And if it does, good for them. And I'm happy for everybody. The point I was trying to make, Bradley, was AI is everything you just said. But NVIDIA and NVIDIA has really smart people and they got to sell them. They got to make all the goods. They got to have the electricity to power them. I'm just trying to point out that like Intel in 2000, there are a lot of people, AMD, and other chip companies that would like a piece of that crown. Oh, for sure, and look, I think at the moment, demand is gonna be so significant that there's probably a lot of room for a lot of these companies to, to grow and, and, and fill that demand. Um, the real question to me, Brian, as you were saying it is, look, obviously the internet changed the world exponentially and dramatically, you know, starting in around 2000, but is the AI boom even bigger, um, even more transformational, and if it is, um, that may mean that NVIDIA's got a little more protection in the future I, than Intel. Can, can AI truly be bigger than the birth of the internet itself, which is what AI is based on? You know, it's a good question, right? So, for example, let's just take drug formation as, as the example here. If AI could effectively take every conceivable compound and test all of it and use simulated testing to figure out what the impact of every conceivable combination might be, um, that may ultimately be more powerful and a greater impact on human lifespan and longevity and, and health span and everything else than anything the internet's ever had. And so, yeah, look, the, the AI is a function of the internet. It doesn't exist without the internet, but could it ultimately be a bigger change in the way that we work and the way that we live? how long we live yeah i think it could be yeah and the point again i was just trying to make and by the way we could have made this with other stocks too not just nvidia back you can go back in history and find these big moves but i was just trying to make the point bradley and we'll let you go that everywhere i go like 25 years ago it, everyone 25 years ago was like dude where's intel going i just bought intel 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 now i'm getting that with nvidia just be careful out there be vigilant bradley tuss thank you very much appreciate it Thanks, all right coming up a new target emerges in a Biden administration campaign against shrinkflation. Could it be off the mark or on the mark? Entrepreneur, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang will join us to talk that and inflation next. All right, welcome back. One of the big reasons, maybe the reason the market took a downturn today, of course, is inflation. The January Consumer Price Index coming in higher than expected, both on a monthly and an annual basis. One area that the White House is working hard to target, and we learned that in the Super Bowl, is what they call shrinkflation. You know, where companies, they sell you less, a smaller packages, fewer chips in a bag, as the president said, but keep the price same or even higher. 
National Economic Director Lael Brainerd spoke about this trend on CNBC earlier today and put the blame squarely on companies. If you look at grocery margins, they're exceptionally high. Some of the staples like uh, eggs or milk, they have come down. But consumer brands, instead of actually lowering prices, they've shrunk packaging. We're going to keep highlighting junk fees, shrinkflation, uh, and asking corporations to pass those savings on. Now, as you heard, Lael Brainerd, a former Federal Reserve top official, noted that grocery store margins have gotten exceptionally high. So it caught our, kind of caught our ears. So I wanted to do a little bit of digging. We look and look back at the most recent earnings report from Kroger. We just randomly picked Kroger because it's one of the biggest and only publicly traded grocery store chains out there. And we found that Kroger's gross margin just before the pandemic, fiscal year 2019, was 22.1%. Last quarter, and we're still waiting on the fourth quarter, it was 22.0%. So at least on that basis, Kroger's gross margin has remained the same, if not ticked down just a bit. They've made more net income. Certainly, maybe they're selling more products, opening more stores, but the gross margin for Kroger hasn't budged. We reached out to Kroger, by the way, for comment, did not hear back. And that is, of course, just one name. Over the past eight years, Kroger's stock is basically flat, up about 8% in an otherwise big market. So the S&P is up 140%, Kroger up 8%, which of course is actually money losing if you factor in inflation. So are really companies the ones to blame here with inflation? Joining us now is forward party co-chair and former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. Andrew, listen, I understand it. It's politics. You need to have the bad guy, right? You need to have the, the sort of the, the boogeyman, you could say it's their fault, it's not our fault. Is Lael Brainerd correct? Well, the politics of it are are on point the way you just described, Brian, where if you can say, look, I'm on the consumer side and it's the companies that are sticking it to you by having fewer cookies in the box, fewer chips in the bag uh, and cut it out. I mean, that's a message that the average consumer was nod their head and say, sure, like I, I hate it when that happens. Uh, the question is whether that's actually going to change corporate practices. But the optics of it are positive, and, and I think that's why you're seeing Biden officials hitting that message. Yeah, they got to they got to do it. Um, and maybe maybe their grocery store margins are up. Like I said, Kroger's net income is up at that time, and it's just one example. I also look back at prices from two years ago, and grocery prices for the most part have remained fairly flat. But you know as well as I do, Andrew, that the problem the public has is that while the rate of inflation has come down, prices are still going up by 3% a year off of an already giant move. It's really hard to go to the American people, whatever their political party, and say things are getting better when they're the ones paying $100 a bag for groceries. Uh, Completely, or things are getting worse but more slowly, uh, to your point. Uh, And the fact is, they're going to be having to make this case around the country because the Biden administration is underwater with independents who are going to decide this November's election by 25 points on the economy, primarily because consumers sense higher prices and hate it. Grocery prices actually are among the sharpest pain points uh, for these consumers. And the administration is seeing the same numbers yep. I just cited. So they're, they're going to be trying anything they can uh, to say at least we're on your side.
I hate to dive into politics, but I have been a little more lately because it's a trillion dollar game. Okay, the economy, markets, a lot of it has to do with politics, so we have to. And like the inflation story, and maybe you might have heard about some other stuff going on around the White House lately, I don't even have to bring it up. The president is rolling out everybody but himself to sell his story. Do we need to hear from the president himself? Some live interviews, more live interviews, debates. The president himself selling his economic message to the people, selling whatever message they want to sell, because just using proxies and trying to convince people of this, as John Stewart eloquently said last night, is not going to cut it. I, I completely agree. Most Americans cannot pick out Lael Brainerd out of a lineup, but they know who their president is. Uh, and he just turned down a Super Bowl interview, which spoke volumes to a lot of people. I mean, you're up for re-election November and you're turning down the biggest audience that generally, by the way, is like a fairly congenial interview. That's not exactly a gotcha type environment. Uh, so the question is, what can you do if the president himself is not going to make that message clear from his own mouth? Uh, and the fact is, there's an enormous drop off between the president and everyone else and voters sense that yeah and it's listen there are a lot of good things about the economy right now and the one to sell it has got to be the president not people talking to other people who are already voting for him andrew yang really appreciate it thank you very much welcome anytime thanks right. brian great to be with you thank you very welcome all right coming up today's sell-off taking banks to the cleaners why one of their biggest wishes for the year Maybe Dash. Plus, a major market milestone that the likes of Elon Musk and hedge fund titan David Einhorn may not want you to hear. All right, welcome back. Today's market sell-off hitting a number of sectors, pretty much every sector, including further declines in the regional banks. Leslie Picker joining us now is more, I mean, Leslie, thank you, by the way. I know you've had a long day. Listen, this, this relationship between rates and the Fed and the banks is a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And it's interesting, Brian, because as you introduced this segment, you said that, you know, regional banks once again having a bad day. And if you look at the declines of the KRE, for example, that's the Spider Regional Banking ETF, uh, it was down 4.2% today. That looks pretty wild, except for the fact that it's only the worst day for the KRE in, oh, just a little less than two weeks. So that kind of shows you what kind of pressure this sector has been on. Now, rates in particular, they're inversely correlated with the way bank stocks, particularly regional bank stocks, have been trading lately in this cycle. And there are really two reasons for that. Number one, you have kind of the deposit costs. The higher rates are and the higher for longer they are, the more you have to pay your depositors to fund the loan making you're doing. So that's one thing. And then on the other side of the equation is the credit quality. And there's this sense, kind of given some of the reports we saw in the fourth quarter, that credit quality could be diminishing. The longer rates stay high, the risk of that uh, you know, diminishing even further. So that's why bank stocks are kind of trading the way they are when you start to see, uh, you know, glimmers that rate cuts could be further in the future, higher for longer, that narrative persisting. Uh, and that explains kind of what you saw today. Well, it's interesting because New York Community Bank kind of led this, obviously. And people said rightly that that was a one-off in a certain way because they got over a certain size, they got regulated differently. So it changed the way people look at their books. Very wonky stuff. But the entire KRE went down today. So clearly, and they didn't fall like NYCB, Leslie. I'm not saying that. 
But this is not an isolated thing that the entire market thinks everybody else but NYCB is okay, is it? Yeah. Yeah, no, NYCB wasn't even the worst performer today. Uh, the, the worst performers were those who, similar to NYCB, are more heavily exposed to real estate. Some investors were, would argue aren't necessarily having the reserves in the way that uh, maybe they, they would like to in case CRE, uh, commercial real estate, does take a turn. But the worst performers in the KRE today were First Foundation, Valley National, and Dime Community Bank shares. Now, two out of the three of those, First Foundation, Dime Community Bank shares, those are East Coast banks. Uh, or I'm sorry, First Foundation uh, is kind of more of a, a Southern Rust Belt bank. Uh, Valley National and Dime Community Bank kind of more of an East Coast bank, different than what you saw a year ago with some of the West Coast banks that were struggling. Uh, but commercial real estate here on the East Coast, mm-hmm. been a big part of the narrative, especially as it pertains to Certainly. office, as it pertains to rent-stabilized buildings. So you kind of see some of that uh, sell-off taking place today, and similar to New York Community Bank Corp over the last few weeks. Certainly so. Leslie Picker, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon, probably early tomorrow morning. All right, next up, a new milestone for the market and investors. According to Bianco Research, passively managed ETFs and mutual funds just surpassed 50% of all assets for the first time. And that is adding fresh fuel to the debate over active versus passive and what it means for the market. Just a few days ago, Greenlight Capital founder David Einhorn, one of the most successful hedge fund managers out there, said he views markets as fundamentally broken because, quote, passive investors have no opinion about value. Now, Elon Musk made similar comments recently in an X spaces with Ark's Kathy Wood saying, quote, the percentage of the market that is passive is simply too great at this point. And that, quote, passive investors are riding on the decisions of active investors. For more, let's bring in Bianco Research President and macro strategist Jim Bianco. Uh, brief disclosure, Jim does manage the Bianco Research Fixed Income Total Return Index in partnership with Wisdom Tree. After that intro, I have no time for the interview. Jim, I'm kidding. Thanks for joining us. What does this milestone that you point out mean, if anything? That money that is going in and out of the stock market is driven on, as David Einhorn said, a no-decision basis. We either buy SPY, which is the S&P iShares, S&P 500 iShares, or IWM, which is the Russell 2000, or BND, which is the uh, bond, um, a Bloomberg aggregate index. We either buy them or we sell them. And we don't discriminate about the individual companies. The stock market has been set up so that it is supposed to be an allocator of capital. It is supposed to give money to good ideas, take money away from bad ideas. But when we go too much passive, everybody gets money. If you mismanage your company, you get money. If you do a good job, you get money. Everybody loses money when outflows come, even if you manage your company correctly. And it does put kind of a dulled edge on capitalism and on the ability of companies to uh, change and to evolve with the needs that they need to. Yeah, well said. Hey, by the way, uh, last night on a program, we had entrepreneur and business strategist Tony Robbins on the show last night. Listen to what he had to say, Jim, about interest rates. I was just with Howard Marks, Ray Dalio, and Jeffrey Gunluck. They're all three talking about how they think interest rates are more here to stay. You know, the market said they're going to cut, they're going to cut. They said, you know, Powell may cut one more time. He wants to be known for, you know, shutting down inflation. But they also don't think we're going to return. They think that these higher rates of inflation are what we're going to have to get used to. So quoting some big names, higher for longer, do you agree? 
I do agree. I think that we are in a new era that started in 2020. New does not mean worse, but it is an era of friction inflation that we're going to see elevated levels of inflation and stronger growth, and we're going to see higher interest rates. A lot of the argument about why the Fed should cut rates is this old saw that rates go up until something breaks. And we assume with the big rate rises that we've seen in the last three years that we've broken something. But the reality is when you've seen the, the payroll report, GDP, even the inflation report today, we haven't really broken anything. The market can handle higher rates for longer. It's Wall Street that doesn't like higher rates for longer. Wall Street needs lower carrying costs. And that's why they keep pushing this idea that interest rates should be coming down. But the economy's not showing any need that it needs lower rates. Like the banks. Jim Bianco, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Very smart analysis, as always. Coming up, a bull market everyone is watching. 54% of black Americans do not have enough savings to maintain their current standard of living in retirement. So what can we do about that? One, ensure pay parity for black Americans. Two, ensure that they have access to guaranteed lifetime income as a part of their retirement plan. And three, we all know that talent is created equally, but opportunity and access are not. AI-powered marketing firm Zeta Global says Valentine's Day spending is on the rise, and maybe it's a big tell. Joining us now is Zeta Global CEO David Steinberg. David, I know it's going to be quick. What's on the rise right now? A year of spending on oneself. You know, we saw inflation numbers. Obviously, the market didn't like them, but consumers see things as, you know, less expensive than they did last year. And consumers are spending uh, and spending heavily, but they're spending on experiences and they're spending on themselves versus spending on people they love. They're spending Valentine's Day money on themselves? Doesn't that defeat the entire point of Valentine's Day, David? Trust me, my wife would agree with that statement, Brian. But, uh, you know, for the first time, we have almost half of Americans are not married. They're single. And they're spending money on stuff like massages, spa treatments, jewelry, fragrances. We're seeing in the Zeta Data Cloud big increases in those categories. But, but people are buying things for Valentine's Day for themselves. And apparently your data shows, and you know more than anybody, spas are hot, hot, hot. Up 70%. And, and you're seeing massages up 55%. I mean, I like, I like a massage, but I, I, I think what we're seeing is that with inflation at 3%, obviously the market hated it today. But the truth of the matter is it's better than the 9% that it was a couple of years ago. And, and I think people are seeing it as a time to spend on themselves. David, thank you. Great analysis and insight. As always, a reminder, Valentine's Day is like a couple hours away. We'll see you tomorrow night. Take care. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 